Welcome to A Crime for Kelp with me, Nick Woodhams, where I interview the movers and shakers of the seaweed industry. Today on the pod, I have Rob Passmore from Biosphere North Devon. Rob is an entrepreneur making seaweed front and centre of his work, helping rural communities to address the climate emergency, restore their natural capital and create jobs. Rob has 25 years of experience in high growth technology and digital sectors, serving as CEO and co-founder in multiple startups, including Smarter Carbon, a not-for-profit helping businesses reduce carbon while saving money and increasing sales. In his spare time, he is passionate about supporting North Devon through various charities which aim to tackle inequalities such as fuel poverty and education, as well as helping people with green finance. We talked about his work to establish a vertically integrated seaweed industry in North Devon, the challenges that presents and the potential benefits it will bring to the area. So if you are trying to piece together how seaweed could benefit your local area, this is the episode for you. Let's hear from Rob. Hello, Rob. Hello, Nicholas. How are you? Very well, thank you. I am fascinated by your journey, and I wonder if that's the best way to start. Could you just give us uh, highlights of your business journey up to getting into green finance and, and the natural capital industry and world? Yeah, sure. I um, I certainly didn't start in that sector. Um, I started my career at um, an advertising agency called Saatchi & Saatchi in London. Little now. Um, and spent... 20 odd years um, doing a range of commercial things, mostly in kind of high growth businesses, um, startups and tech tech businesses, etc. Um, so I've been through that kind of process of a conversation in the back of a pub, coming up with an idea that sounds like it might be exciting and kind of taking that through to kind of 120 odd people and a number of million pounds of turnover. Um, and then it all gets a bit too grown up, and um, I like to bring in people with ties um, at that point. So I, I have learned through those years that I really enjoy that kind of going into messy markets early, helping to find where the value is, and then coming up with a strategy that you can implement to realise that potential. Um, well, about five years ago, I read um, a great book called The Second Mountain by David Brooks, which basically talks about First mountain being doing things for yourself in your life. And then you kind of start to question why you're doing it. And, and that's when you kind of go into the valley before the second mountain, which is where you really find purpose. And I feel that that is really what's brought me to kind of green finance and natural capital, which is um, trying to address the climate emergency that we face rather than lining mine or others' pockets with profit um, as a far more kind of important um, driver but what was there was there a specific catalyst that sort of that, that, that you know where you would just realize that the scale of the climate crisis or was it something else that was the the, the, the spark that made you go I need to do something more no no it was it was two things I think one one um, precluded the other the first the first was just going through a really nasty venture capital deal where I literally had to make the decision between winning and making um, a significant amount of money or being good. And I did not like that choice of kind of having to choose between being good or, or winning. And I decided to be good um, in that instance and um, realised I'm shocked constantly by what people will do for profit. Um, I, I really am. And I kind of, it made me realise that there's got to be something. I, I felt like a, a hitman who had greater conscience because all of my career, I've basically been trained to build growth, 
to generate profit. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I came across this book really when I was kind of having my road to Damascus moment. And, and um, it really kind of made me realize that those skills weren't wasted. They just needed to be reapplied to a different, to a different course. Um, the other thing was I heard a quote, someone saying that um, hope is an emotion with its sleeves rolled up. And oh, I love that. Struck me. It's, ama- it's an amazing quote. And I think a lot of people hope that the climate emergency doesn't mean the end of humanity and it means that our kids have got a world to live in. But it's passive, that position. And it made me realise that quote, that actually it's all very well hoping that an outcome's going to happen. But unless you're actually actively in the fight trying to do something about it it's quite hard really I think to to, to really feel that you're, you're living up to that that imperative so that's kind of it was those two things it was like profit is a bit of a nasty thing and um, actually um, there's such a need for the same skills in the environment to um, that, that it was like a light bulb moment really for me and it was just like and since then I mean I was mid-40s when I worked that out and I literally kind of worked when uh, this is what I want to do when I'm a grown-up you know it was that moment and up until that point I hadn't really found my my place um, brilliant so this is what I'm doing and this is your place so so that's that's great segue into what you're currently doing so give us all a bit of a an explanation as brief as possible because I know it's it's nebulous in itself of what is the plan for the biosphere foundation in general uh, as much as you can and then okay. if you can go on to give us something a bit about specifically about the north devon what's going on in north devon that'd be great yeah no that's that's absolutely fine i mean at, at its top level it's trying to do three things and it's kind of three birds with one stone so um we want to help um push through interventions um that address the climate emergency at the same time as restoring nature and also creating jobs for typically rural or coastal communities, which have been left behind. Um, And there's a bunch of opportunities as kind of natural capital, um, seaweed, green finance, blue finance, all of these kind of things are coming through. So the thing that um, the Biosphere Foundation is really passionate about is how do you harness those, those economic changes to create new revenue streams for local communities um, that generate community prosperity rather than big businesses coming in with extractive profit motives. So what we're really all about is helping rural communities leverage the nature that that surrounds them um, and creating better livelihoods, better um, futures for their kids um, and hopefully, you know, contributing towards the climate emergency. Fab. And specifically in North Devon, you've got quite a lot of initiatives already off the ground, haven't you? Yeah, we do. It's a, it's a place of contrasts. You know, it's, it is stunningly beautiful. I'm biased. I, um, I, I was born here originally and um, uh, kind of came back um, after being in, in predominantly London for, for 20 odd years. Um, so we're, we've got an incredible uh, environmental wealth but that has not trans- translated into community prosperity. Um, and we've got some of the lowest social mobility in the UK, um, which basically means if you do great at school, you still don't have a great life. That's basically what that translates into. So what's the point? You know, if you're a young person at school, what is the point working hard at school if it doesn't have any impact on the future that you're going to have? So I'm deeply passionate in North Devon about helping to bring 
um, new opportunities and raise aspirations, not only for the, the next generation, but for also people to retrain into the blue and green economy. So that is everything from the woodland economy, everything from um, tree nurseries, um, tree cultivation through to processing and finished products, uh, regenerative agriculture, looking at how we can have less inputs into farms um, and still have great food, but it be more environmentally friendly in terms of how it's created, and the marine context, because we're one of the few counties that borders the Atlantic Ocean um, in England. So we've got a real opportunity and an asset. And you'd be shocked to know how many people work in that blue economy in, in North Devon. It's certainly less than 150 people. Wow. You know, and given, that is a shock. given the opportunity of, of this big blue wonderful thing that is just sat on our doorsteps, you know, that's one of the areas that I'm really excited to kind of explore how we can help the environment, help nature and create jobs. Fab. And so, therefore, the big question, obviously, on my lips and the lips of all of my listeners is, where does seaweed fit into what you guys are doing? It's massive. It, it's, I, I, I get increasingly excited. You know, I was, um, I was at the Scottish Association of Marine um, Sciences two weeks ago for their Seaweed Academy launch. Um, oh, cool. Uh, which was epic, you know, and I mean, t- there was 200 people there face to face. There was 250 people online. Um, the, the Scottish Crown Estate was there. Um, it, the, the, the level of social license that they have in Scotland for agriculture because of salmon. This is a, like a, a transition across into it. So there, it, it just blew me away. Um, and we, they received the funding for that seaweed academy from the same um, funding sources as we have for a blue uh, economy accelerator Um, so the seaweed fits into us in terms of how do we unlock the potential of seaweed economically and at scale to um, really drive home the benefits of coastal communities because there's a lot in seaweed that is a defendable strategic difference what i mean by that is it's bloody heavy firstly you know if you start to create this stuff in bulk it's it's heavy and you do not want to be shipping it around everywhere therefore processing it near the coast provides a competitive advantage for those coasts so those coastal areas that maybe felt a bit on the edge suddenly aren't on the edge it's a competitive advantage um, to process this stuff this stuff locally so yeah, Europe, you know, the European seaweed, I'm sure many of your, your listeners will know, um, you know, the um, champion of the of the ocean yeah. report, which has the European market scale up to 9 billion um, euros. So exciting. Years ago, uh, away. You know, and if, if we, the UK takes 10% of fisheries by wet tonnage at the moment across the EU, uh, we've got way more than 10% of the coastline. Of, of the EU. So if we can take 10% of that market, it's just shy of a billion pound new sector that is coming into uh, the UK and is focused on our coastal areas that really need that kind of support. So I'm super excited about it. And it's currently blocked, you know, trying to get the seaweed industry is in a bit of a catch 22. Um, so, uh, 
trying to unlock that, I think, is, is one of the key challenges. And well, I was going to bring that up a little bit later, but it's probably worth doing now. What do you think? Because there are so many opportunities. There's so many um, interesting uh, fronds to this industry, to, to coin a, a biological term. I think that, that it's hard to know which one is going to create the market inflection that we need for seaweed to sit into the mainstream. So from your perspective, uh, I do want to come back to North Evans specifically, but, I, but I'm wondering just, just as an industry in general, when are people like the country going to wake up and go, I know about seaweed now because I am eating seaweed crackers or because I'm uh, using seaweed biofuels. What is it do you think just on your, you know, you don't have, I don't have to commit to it, but I'd be interested to know your perspective on what's going to do it. Well, I think that there's a difference between kind of economic inflection and kind of mainstream uh, yeah. awareness. So I've got, yeah, fair I don't on. know, maybe three thoughts on it, Nick. The first is uh, a senior representative from the, the Scottish Crown Estate um, who spoke at the launch event a couple of weeks ago in Scotland, who said that Scotland is famous for its salmon and its whiskey. We want to make it famous for its seaweed too. So in Scotland, they're putting it on the same platform as whiskey and, and salmon from a kind of national product perspective. So, you know, that kind of policy support is, is enormous um, to, to, to bring this thing, that, to bring seaweed through into the mainstream. Um, I think the other thing is that change happens in a non-linear way. Um, and I'd recommend having a read, and, and for your listeners too, having a look at an organisation called Rethink X, um, who are um, experts in uh, analysing how change and transformation happen. And they've looked at this across agriculture, climate change, um, energy production, and have kind of highlighted that change doesn't happen in a linear way at all. You, you kind of think it's a hard slog to from zero to 100%. And it's, it's not. If you get to about 10 to 15%, then th th there are kind of dynamics that kick in that mm. accelerate that transition. So I, I think that's a much more friendly target to kind of start to, if you, if you hit a certain um, critical mass, then, then the, the, the wind kind of gets behind you. In, in terms of the factors that need to come together to realise that, you know, I look at this from a macroeconomic perspective, it's kind of my training, you know, I kind of look at this from a sector perspective and where the blockers are. There's, there's a, a, a ton of opportunity, you know, and as you say, the fronts, everything from fibres for clothing, plastic replacements, foods, alternate sources of protein, biofuels, you could get lost in the, the, the myriad of opportunities out there. But it seems that there are two things that are blocking the scaling of the sector. Um, and the first is when you talk to a seaweed farmer, they're very secretive about who they're selling their product to. And the reason they're secretive is because the market is so small for purchasing. So they, they have to be secretive because they don't want someone else to come in and, and take a ton um, you know, out of out of that. So from the buyer's side, there's a lack of market in terms of where they can put the product. On the other side is biorefineries, seaweed biorefineries, which are kind of industrial scale, scale processing facilities. And if you look at this from a biorefinery perspective, they go, well, we haven't got the biomass bulk to make it economical. We can't establish biomass. So that's the problem, yeah. right? You've got You've got a catch-22 and no one's going to go first. So the strategy in the biosphere in North Devon is to do both at the same time. So we are looking to establish a local biorefinery for seaweed 
at the same time as dramatically scaling up production of seaweed biomass um, in the North Devon area. That scaling up, we're looking to do through two things. Number one, block licensing. Um, We are in discussions with CFAS, MMO and the Crown Estate about establishing an aquaculture enterprise zone off Northern Devon, which would enable streamlined um, licensing and permitting which is a massive blocker, as I'm, as I'm sure you're aware. Yeah. So that's kind of one part. The next part is um, seaweed nurseries to be able to provide the volume of, of um, seed um, without lots of travel distances, which can cause you know, significant problems. So that can kind of help you. You've got that kind of going through, and then the biorefinery can be set up, and you can then say to someone who wants to set up um, a seaweed farm, we can help. The licensing is is accelerated. There's seed product available, and we will guarantee to purchase a hundred tons a year off for the buyer of the It's a no brainer. The finance, the finance has just exploded. Yeah. You know, suddenly instead of someone doing it as a bit of a dice roll, it is it's a it's an investment that is bankable. So we think that bringing those pieces together is really what is needed to unlock it, and then the innovation can flow. And I think that's, I want to touch on that as well, but I, I think this is really interesting because you, 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 you know, putting it all together almost like vertically integrated to, to a startup, I think is really smart. And I've heard it happening in different places too. But what I'm interested in is why, why it's so expensive to start a bio-refinery? Because surely that's something that a government grant could give it a go to just doing. Because they're not, are they that complicated or am I just, just a, too much of a layman to not really understand it? Not doing a great deal with wet tonnage of, and turning it into dry tonnage, are you? Is it, is it that complicated? I, I, there's a number of stages to kind of primary, secondary processing. And um, we, we totally, the industry across Scotland, um, Wales and, and England really lacks the processing um, you know, for, for, for that. that um, I, I heard tales in Scotland of people drying their seaweed in greenhouses. You know, it's like because that's, that's the biorefinery. You know, they haven't got the facilities um, and Scotland's difficult because it's island-based and broken up, so it's it's quite hard to transport. They're, they're, you, you've got to do a primary process on it to stabilise it before you really take it to to anywhere to be processed um, as a secondary thing. It, it is; it's a piece of capital expenditure. You know, buyer, the way to look at it is it's it's a piece of capital expenditure, and you've got to build the business case to highlight how that intervention will unlock millions of pounds for the local economy. And that that is the product. That's what we're working on through the community renewal funding piece that we received, same as the Seaweed Academy in Scotland. So we are, we're building that business case, working with um, an organisation called Vivid Economics, who are part of McKinsey & Co Consulting. So they're helping to really turn these ideas into investment cases so that we can then look at blended finance. And blended finance is that public funding coming in um, for the kind of capital expenditure, but that can then also um, redirect private investment into the sector um, alongside it. They really like each other, public-private funding, and they typically don't like to go alone. So um, our approach really is to kind of share prosperity fund. We're looking to put a bid into the shared prosperity fund, which is coming up looking at the biorefinery components and the nursery um, elements as well. 
Fab. Uh, but yeah, they're not cheap. You know, these are millions of pounds pieces of kit because they've got to be able to scale. You know, they've got a there's a baseline, and then they've got to be able to scale. I, I think the other thing, Nick, that's, Nick, that's really exciting for North Devon is our proximity to the planned Celtic Sea wind farms um, because they're just over the horizon from where we are and to the point where power connections are coming in to North Devon um, from those farms once they, um, they they get up and running. So if we can if we can do kind of near shore agriculture um, of seaweed at scale as a kind of first step, then this then opens up the opportunity to look at kind of multi um, spatial uses um, out into those wind farms uh, with the potential of of growing seaweed kind of more into the kind of open sea um, and at larger scales as well. Very similar to kind of German, Belgian, Dutch models where they're planning hundreds of square kilometres of of, of seaweed to be produced. They're very, very advanced um, on this, this strategy and their coastline is tiny. Yeah, that's impressive. I did not know that about Germany specifically, but I, I can. I remember somebody saying to me, and I can't remember who it was, about that if we could build a seaweed farm the size of Australia, we'd probably solve the climate crisis relatively quickly. Um, that is obviously a big if, but uh, I just like the idea that we can be we can think big about this sort of stuff. And the, and I know that there is an issue with that with doing that. Um, with potentially with the if you don't take that seaweed and move it somewhere if you just let it die and just store the carbon falling down to the, to the seabed because we don't know what it does to the the, the bio um biosphere doesn't uh, at, the, at the seabed do you have any takes on that or do you know where that's going up or is this just a bit too far in advance yeah. no no it's i mean this is part so we're also working alongside with it we're working with the marine institute at the university of plymouth um who are doing the kind of environmental and geographical analysis of this too. So they're looking at um, kelp, uh, uh, seagrass, salt marsh, and sediment from a carbon perspective um, alongside this too. It's uh, it's tricky. I'm looking at looking at this from a purely economic perspective, kelp farming is a difficult one to generate carbon revenue from. Right. Um, because as you say, it's very hard to, you know, if, if, if it comes out as biomass and it's used, it's eaten as food, it's not being locked away. It's, it's being recycled back into the, the active carbon cycle. So it really needs to be taken into the kind of deep ocean um, and down into the kind of sediment layers. And those transition pathways are not well understood at the moment from a quantification perspective. So it's very hard, therefore, to... Uh, quantify how how much benefit comes comes from that. Although we know benefit does come from it, they do, however, as you know, absorb nutrients. So um, we're also looking at this within our coastal estuaries. Um, so we're looking at kind of two sites. We're looking outside of the estuaries and kind of near near offshore, but we're also looking kind of into tidal ranges in the Torridge estuary. Um, looking at bivalves and seaweed from a bioremediation perspective. So um, nutrient, we've got a real problem with uh, nitrates, yeah. uh, with agricultural runoff. Um, you know, yummy for seaweed and for bivalves. Um, and, the, and the way that seaweeds um, digest dissolved nutrients and bivalves ingest particulate nutrients so they don't tend to compete for the same nutrients. So you can kind of integrate those two together. 
So um, we're, um, we're in discussions with the Environment Agency about how we could use that to create a nutrient trading system. So a catchment-based nutrient trading system for nitrates, given that 80% of estuaries around the UK are failing their water framework directive quality standard. That's supposed to be... 80%? I did not know that. Yeah, that is extraordinary. Okay. Yes. Oh, wow. And the EA can't afford to, to sort it out. They don't have the resources to do it. So they're accepting they can't do it, which basically is another economic opportunity, yeah. um, as well as an environmental one, to clean up our estuaries using nature um, to, to do that. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's looking at this in a stacked way. It's looking at it kind of how do you blend different sources of funding yeah. How do you blend different types of revenue? And even when you get product, it's it's we, we kind of look at a cascading model of biomass. So it's like you take the most valuable slice first, you take food, you know, um, nutraceuticals, all of that kind of stuff. And then you look at what you have left, what's the next most uh, best thing you can do with that, and on and on you go till you've got no biomass left. That's the kind of lean approach that we're very we're smart. Really that is the, that is is genuinely like following the the, the lean startup method of Eric Ries. Yeah, I love it. I've, yeah, that's so like, smart. You know, that's that's the background. You know, that's kind of you know we're we're trying to move like a tech startup. Very true. Um, because it's quick. It's it's just you know tech startups move really really quickly. Yeah. You, you make mistakes quickly. You learn. You evolve. You move on. You know. Exactly. Um, so with that in mind, what do you think is your you know? Could you give me a uh, with a positive hat on, your five no. Uh, let's go for ten. Your ten year predictions. Like, let's say, what's going to what's firstly, what's biosphere North Devon going to look like in ten years, and then what's the UK seaweed industry going to look like, and then what do you think that does? What do we look like in comparison? To what's going on around the world in ten years' time? It's twenty uh, thirty two. That's fine. I'll um, I'll keep it focused on seaweed. Mm-hmm. Um, or do you want to kind of meet a? Um, I'll keep it focused. Yeah, go for go for seaweed. Oh. I'll keep it focused on seaweed. You know, I I I, I hope we can get twelve percent of the European um, seaweed market, which would be a, a new billion pound a year industry for the UK. Um, our, we're working with the University of Plymouth. We're in discussions with the University of Bangor and the Marine Institute. Uh, sorry, the Marine um, Association. Um, sorry, the Scottish Association for Marine Sciences in Scotland. Um, with the aim that we can collaborate between those three countries because there's no point competing. No. You know, there's no point trying to fight over the slice of the pie when you've got to really try and work together to grow it. So, I'm, I'm you know, if we've got a billion-pound industry coming in, they're predicting across Europe um, 115,000 jobs in this sector. So, you know, anything over 10% of that is kind of 12,000 new jobs into the UK. So I'm, I'm, and then you've got to link it in with skills and, um, and education, um, which brings me back to that social mobility. We've got to create opportunities that are accessible to the young people um, who live here and to people being able to reskill from, you know, retail or hospitality yeah. um, into these new sectors. So, yeah, my aspiration is, you know, five years from now, we are launching a big biorefinery there's there's significant kilometers hundreds of kilometers of seaweed agriculture happening around our coastlines um and and it's had a tangible impact on the community prosperity for coastal communities around the uk 
Fantastic. Well, uh, hairs have just gone stood up on my arm from you saying that. I'm very excited. Yeah. I, I want to be involved as much as possible. And also, just a quick plug, as a veteran, um, I want there to be veterans to be uh, involved in this because I think they've, they've got something to say as well and, and, and something, to, something to bring to the party as well. And, um, yeah, so let's make sure that they're involved, please. Uh, well, I, I would completely agree. I mean, we've got Chivinet Air Base, which is kind of within the biosphere, which is a, you know, a marine oh, yeah. centre. Yeah. Know, it would be amazing as well, not not only active servicemen, but as you say, veterans, as they, they transition out. There are great jobs in this sector. Um, for well, let's do it. And, and, you know, it would be great to kind of link those up. Well, um, we're close to the end. But this, is, this has been good. And it's not, not, not only has it been uh, fascinating, but it's also you know, really, really got me uh, very excited about the future. But I, I'm interested for one last question, uh, actually two. Firstly, um, what do you wish you had known before you'd started in this sector? Oh, God. Um, oh, that's a difficult question. Um, what do I wish I'd known before I started is, um, oh, it's, I don't know, it, it's funny, you, I kind of wish I'd come across the realisation of um, of reapplying these skills earlier in my career, um, but I wouldn't then have, I wouldn't have developed the commercial capabilities that I, I now have yeah, to, 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 to bring into it. I'm learning every day, um, I don't think there's one thing, I mean, I'm You've got to be a total sponge to, to kind of soak up all of all of the information that's coming through. Something I'm really excited about too is um, direct carbon sequestration. Yeah. Um, and the marine has a role to play in that. There's some technology coming out of UCLA highlighting that because water has 150 times density of CO2 to air, it can be a lot more efficient to extract carbon from from the oceans directly. Um, rather than from from air, so there's some very interesting science coming through on that side. But yeah, look, look, it's 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 all a journey, isn't it? You've got yeah, to keep learning exactly. It's a it's a tricky question for anybody. I think most. Of the, I'm always just interested in their take on what that what that actually looks like. You know, because it could just mean, oh, I wish I'd done a degree in it beforehand, or I wish I had got into it this earlier. It's 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 different for everybody. But I I think it's uh, you know it, as you say, it's a very fast moving industry, and it's uh, it's just very exciting to be to be involved in any way, shape, yeah. or form. One yeah, final absolutely. one I've got is if uh, are you guys hiring and what are you looking for? Because some of the, our listeners are, are, are itching to get themselves into the seaweed industry. What would you be yeah. recommending they do? Well, firstly, I would say that um, you know we are a, a learning organisation. So we, are, if if you want to get into this space, please get in touch. So I wouldn't say here's a job, go and apply for it. But if you've got a set of skills that you think you can bring. Um, to, to the party, please do get in touch. Happy, happy to do that. I think it's worth looking at, if you're keen to get into it, it's to, it's to have a little bit of a look and think about where the opportunity is going to be um, you know, within, this, within this sector. And I think they range from uh, biochemistry um, in terms of working in um, seaweed nurseries. That is going to be a massive growth area. Uh, there's one in, uh, in, in Brixham or our south coast. Uh, discussions of one in Dorset, so that's going to be a growth area. Um, if you want to be in the great outdoors, then I think kind of um, seaweed farming or working um, on seaweed farms. There's there's a range of environmental intelligence and data, um, sensor data, um, etc. Um, if you 
into your data and your analytics um, as well, and then into kind of everything through into products and marketing. So it, it's it's an industry, and all industries need all skills. So um, yeah, I mean, have we got um, active roles we're hiring for right now? Um, no, we don't have any positions, but we're always interested to to talk to talent and see if there's something we can do to kind of make it fit and work. Fab. Well, you heard it here, guys. Then just uh, get in touch with Robin. I'm sure he will do his very best to help you find the right route for you. Well, Rob, this has been great. I hope you'll come back on again. And thank you very much for your time. It's a pleasure, Nick. Anytime.